Hi there, coaches. Brian Blackburn again with the Pound the Rock podcast. As always, we want to thank our sponsors through HardwoodTexas.com, Huddle Waterboard Graphics, Diamond J Metalworks, Tumbleweed Textiles, Jeremy Thomas Agency through Allstate, as well as Modern Woodman Financial and Landon Landry. Today we have Coach Michael Gonzalez. He's in his third year at Veterans Memorial in Converse ISD. He's an assistant coach there on the men's side and previously was at uh, LBJ High School at Laredo United, as well as an assistant at Burbank High School in San Antonio. So, Gonzo, thanks for being with us today. Appreciate you. I'm excited about this. Uh, hopefully you get some good stuff. As, as most of you know, Gonzo is also a uh, TABC camp legend, and he, he works on his blocking out skills in regards to the cookie trays and really has great form on uh, on blocked outs there and so he got a lot of respect from a lot of coaches around the state because of his uh his hard work at TBC uh the the camps there so Gonzo uh what we're going to talk about today is uh kind of the roles and responsibilities of a of a quality assistant coach but before we get into that let's talk a little bit about your background some of the people that have influenced you in coaching and the coaching tree that you have all right well Kind of similar to you, uh, my, first, my, my biggest mentor is my dad. My dad was also a high school basketball coach. He was a TABC president, um, and so I learned a lot from him uh, just throughout, throughout his career. He was one of those guys that just continued to work hard. But if, if you know my dad, uh, the, biggest, the biggest attribute about him is his ability to build relationships. He knows absolutely everybody and anybody. He's willing to talk to anybody, has a positive attitude. He, he remains professional and still has a hand in the game in the San Antonio area association of basketball coaches. He's now t- taking ownership of that. And so uh, I, I just, he comes to my game still and he gives me little notes about things that I do right and a lot of things that I do wrong. <laughs> but uh, still, still big impact in my life. I got started at Woodlake Hills Middle School. I worked for a, a legendary coach in San Antonio named Cliff Baker, but uh, who who was also there was a guy by the name of Lonnie Hubbard. Mm-hmm. And Hubbard is now the head coach of Steel High School. And I got a funny story, actually, I'd like to share. I've kind of put my boy Hub on blast. <laughs> uh, so doing, doing my student teaching, this, this, is a, this is a good one. I go in, we're changing units. We're going from volleyball to basketball. And all the basketball goals are cranked up. And so I show up real early, and I'm like, hey, uh, I need the little – the little uh, key, so then uh, the little spinner, so I can pull the basketballs down. And Hub looks at me and he says, "Coach, it broke. All we have is a hand crank." And I was like, "No, no, no, no! Don't don't play with me like that right now." <laughs> He's like, "No, no, no! Just a hand crank is all we got." So he hands me the hand crank, and I'm out there just with burning my shoulders, boom, boom, trying to trying to get this one basket down. The bell rings. I don't even have one basket down, and I kind of see Hub from the corner of my eye walking out with the little with the, the little electrical one. Yeah. But they were ha- having a kick, dying out, dying out there, seeing me crank. I was really out there for about 45 minutes trying to get this basket down. So oh, great, great story about Hub. <laughs> Coach Jackson, I was with at Burbank High School, uh, strong disciplinarian, and uh, I probably learned how to run a program most from him. Um, spent heavily involved with the middle schools, and within the community as well. Um, and then now I'm here with Steve Betters, um, great, doing a great job trying to build a program here. And that, that's kind of the, the biggest people in my life so far. 
That's great. Now, I want to piggyback off something you just said in regards to mentors and how your dad is your mentor. How how important is it for coaches, not not just young coaches, but coaches in general to have to have mentors and what are some of the uh, effects of having a mentor? Especially especially somebody like with, with my dad's experience, I think that it's just the, the little details that kind of go that kind of go unnoticed when you're working with the same group every day and when you have kind of an alternate set of eyes come to a practice or, or come or come to a game, sometimes he points out things that have been beneficial to myself and have been beneficial to my team. And it's just usually it's it's something very, 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 very small. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not something earth shattering, but it may it makes a huge difference. Uh, he, he he, my dad loves defense, and so he he'll come to a practice or he'll come to a game, and it will be just something like their foot placement. Their foot placement on the wing is not correct, and you, you need you need to fix that. Hey, uh, the, the guy the guy's not getting off too he's getting too far up the line, and you're getting beat on backdoor cuts. Well, it's just little things that we go and fix, and then sure enough, we play much better the next game. Uh, we play much better. We have a much better practice the next one, and so just getting an alternate set of eyes and somebody who's been there who's kind of who's kind of sees things. Um, it helps me out tremendously um, how to run, how to run a program when things are going not going great. Um, he has a couple of suggestions. How about you try this? Have you tried shortening up practice? Have you tried doing this instead? And so you get you get somebody that um, has been successful already, and it helps out a bunch. That's really good. One thing about uh, the, the first coach I worked for at Bryan High School was John Reese, and uh, Coach Reese was really good a great communicator to to everyone. But one thing he really helped me with is he allowed me to make mistakes early on in my career, as long as those mistakes weren't going to hurt the program. And so like I could, he, he would let me mess up and, and then learn from my mistakes and he would, he would help out as much as he could. But you know, if, if it was uh, the way I was talking to a player, especially like in practice, if I wasn't using the right tone, he would let me go ahead and do that. And then afterward, he would talk to that player, and, and I would be around, and, and I would be like, "Oh yeah, I really messed that up," you know. And he making mistakes is part of being a young coach, and I think that's important yep. to have to have mentors and coaches around that maybe will let you make those mistakes, but then also get you back in line with how the program is going to be. And I think that helped helped me a lot because you make your own mistakes, you realize they're your mistakes, and then you grow from them. That obviously helps uh, down the road because then you won't make it again. And I, th- I really appreciate Coach Reese for that because, like, especially like with parents dealing with parents, I'd never done that before. And and then you're talking to parents and having parent meetings and stuff. You know, it's just huge to learning experience, making those mistakes and learning from them. So I think that's a big big help too when you have mentors that kind of let you mess up and then will will also help help when you need help. Yeah, yeah, good, good one. He said, learn, learning more from our failures than our successes most of the time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what, uh, what's some of the best advice you've received in education? You know, you've been in, you've been in the game a while now, and been different places, uh, seen different programs, seen different school districts and cultures and climates. What, uh, what's some of the best advice you've received in, in education? I'm going to give you a couple. Of, again, just things that 
you've probably heard before, but I, I sincerely feel like one of the biggest things in both teaching and coaching is the relationship bank account. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what are you putting in? And then in order to take out, have a withdrawal, like are you, are you having positive interactions with the students, with your athletes every single day? Um, and it, can, it starts for us uh, in the classroom, standing in the hall, when the kids come in, just greeting them, how's it going, a brief 20-second conversation um, to kind of say, look, I care about you, I see you, calling them by name. And then the same thing with our athletes, when they come running in uh, to, to get dressed out, we're right in the front, we're giving them high fives, we're asking how they're doing, we're having small 20-second conversations with them to, just, just to get them going, to say, look, we're here, we care about you, because inevitably there's going to be something that at some point in time to where you're going to have to uh, pull a little bit out. Right. If you haven't put anything in yet, well, then they have a negative reaction or a negative perception of you already. Yeah, good um, point. The second one is, and this is, again, just from my dad, is just to always do your best, even in the small roles, because you never know when that small role is going to lead into a bigger role. Um, I've been fortunate enough like when I was doing my student teaching and with Lonnie Hub, um, I got a job mid-semester, a PE job, but it was because Lonnie Hubbard knew the person that was hiring a, a, or knew the other teacher, and so he called him and asked about me, and Hub gave me a good recommendation, and then here we are about 12 years later, and uh, three of the guys that were on that Woodlake Hills Middle School staff are now here at Veterans Memorial High School. Wow. And uh, had football coach, the first assistant head coach. And so when this job came open, I guess I had done well enough there to land me this job. Cool. I like that. Now, uh, with the relationship bank account, it's really important to, to not only invest, but then, you know, you do have to make withdrawals. If you don't, if you don't make any withdrawals, then no one's going to know the expectations. So I like what you said there about having to put put in, but then also get some stuff out. So I like that. I'm going to tweet that later. Do you know that? Um, a temperament. Uh, I guess the best. I don't think I've developed this great great enough yet, um, because I think the best coaches are the ones who. You know, like uh, that the kids know that you really, 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 really care about them, but there's something to them to where you're a little bit intimidated <laughs> because if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then you know that the eyes are watching at you and they're going to hold yourself accountable. And I, I think that the best coaches I've been, I've been those type of people where like, man, man, there's something about this guy. Like he really does care about me, but man, if I mess up, it, like I'm going to hear about it. Yeah, I think some of that comes with age, though, don't you think? I mean, I, I, you know me. I'm not the most intimidating-looking guy in the world, but my dad was, you know, a Marine Corps, you know, sergeant, and so he was in the he was in the Marine Corps, and so he had a little bit more intimidation to him than than I ever will. I think I think maybe age and and part of that plays a role in that. But yeah, I I agree with you. That balance of intimidation and and respect but also love and care. I think that's a good point. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, hey, we're going to spend the rest of the time here talking about what traits make a good assistant coach, a quality assistant coach. And so, uh, you know, 
you've been around great assistant coaches and head coaches. You are a great assistant coach. So what are some of the, uh, the aspects or, or characteristics of, of what you know, drives winning in regards to being a good assistant coach? I think the first one I just is being a hard-working self-starter. Um, I just got a phone call from from another head coach in, in, in the area, and he was asking about a guy uh, that I had worked with previously. And his his only point was like, "Man, is a guy going to work hard? Because he's going to be his first assist, assistant." Um, he says, "I don't want that guy. Don't don't be that guy. That guy who's always throwing up a watch, looking to get out. Like I need somebody if he if." He needs a little help in the X's and O's. If he's not the most knowledgeable, but he's willing to learn, like I can work with that. I just need somebody that wants to be here and is going to put in the time. And I think that's half the battle: is are you are you willing to stay there? Are you willing to put in the work? And then the self-starting um, decision-making fatigue. Right. I read in a book that 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 decision-making is an exhaustible resource. And I think that my first stint as a as a head coach, like I was a, I was drowning in the amount of decisions that needed to be made on a daily basis, and I think it led to making some poor choices. And so a good assistant is going to take as many of those small decisions and put them on his plate, so that the head coach can concentrate on the things that really matter: the team, uh, who, who are they playing, where are we headed, uh, how how are we going to get better. So all the little things, man, are you putting in bus requests, the itineraries for the day? Are you handling discipline like, like you talked about? With, with your, are you handling discipline with your team? Are you going into those parent meetings and communicating ahead of time so that it doesn't have to get to the head coach and then he has to make a decision? You're just letting him know, look, I talked to so-and-so's parents. That's what we talked about. Everything is taken care of. Um, are you taking care of the managers? Do they know what their expectation is when you hit the practice floor? Are you rolling with through, through practice? Um, the subs, uh, I know that that's one of my big roles is putting putting in subs so that they, they can kind of stay in tune to the game. But all those little things, to, as many little decisions as you could take off the head coach's plate, I think plays a big part in the head coach being able to do his job to the best of his ability. Good stuff. I like that. And, you know, part of that goes back to the head coach. Head coach has to be willing to delegate. And I think that's a that's a hard that's a hard thing for a lot of coaches, especially when they first get their first head coaching job, is that ability to delegate the things that are important but don't matter as much as other things. So you gotta have a hierarchy of decision making and I will tell you dis, uh decision fatigue is, is real. And you, it always hits when you when you don't want it to, and that's about halfway through district, when you need to uh, yeah. when you need to make the best decisions. And so, yeah, that's that's a good point. All right, what else you got for us? This is gold, man. Keep it coming. Yeah, the relate the second one. I talked about the relationship bank account, but in order to be a great assistant coach, you've got to be a relationship builder. Um, you, you got to be able to cue the coach in on, man, so-and-so, he's not feeling right. He's not feeling right, man. You need to give him some love. You need to show him some love. I see trouble down the road, man. We need to figure out a way to get get him involved. And at the same time, man, this guy's feeling really good or this guy's getting a little bit, you know, he's getting a little bit loose. Maybe we need to, we need to ramp it up a little bit on him. But if you can have that relationship with the kids, you can read things before they happen, and you can prevent problems. Or 
you can help in a dramatic way. And then at, on the flip side, then you have the ability to still hold them accountable. Yeah. And then for them to look at you and say, yes, coach, I got it. And so hopefully you can correct, correct things uh, before they happen. Good, good. And the, the, it doesn't stop there. Like, it's not just about the kids. I think that this is also a big piece of it is are you building relationships with the administration? Are you building relationships with counselors? And are you building relationships with other teachers? Um, I think one of the best things that I've seen, uh, Coach Burrier, who was a girls coach at LBJ when I was there, at the beginning of the year we get together and he says, all right, we're going to buy all the counselors uh, lunch when in-service starts because we're going to need them at some point throughout the year. Mm. And so at some point before this, the, the year started, we take all the counselors to lunch and just say, thank you very much. We appreciate your support because inevitably at some point there was going to be something that we needed it and they were more likely, they were more likely to give us what we wanted because we had again put, put in a little bit into that bank account. Cool. He would volunteer. There's a other. This was when Star. Remember when Star used to be all day? Yeah. Like you can. It, it, there was no time limit. Right. And so some kids would would stay till like seven o'clock at night. Well, when when those Star days happen, he goes, "We're going to volunteer for these so we can help the counselors out." And so one one day we would stay till about six thirty until all the kids were done testing. And again, very, counselors very appreciative of that. Um, the administration, the, the same thing, like just trying to be visible in the halls before and after school, uh, talking to the kids, uh, being, being being noticeable on campus. And then teachers, the same thing. Like you, teachers, they, they have our kids, and every now and then you got to go talk, what, what's up with so-and-so? We, we need to figure out what, what a plan for them. And the teachers, since you've been willing to help them out, again, they're, they're willing to help you out and then help the program as well. That's cool. I was wondering why all of your athletes at LBJ uh, took video games all day at school. <laughs> now I know. Now I know why. Now I know why they were taking video game video game uh, play for for four class periods a day. Counselor meals. I got you. <laughs> yeah, man, there you go. Man, it helped a bunch. The counselors. I thought that was a big, a big little something small, but man. It, and even here, like what well, we use our counselors all all the time. There's stuff that we need, and man, the the more the the better. The more that we go along through this, and that two years, three years in, like we kind of got a good a good rapport with them, and they they help us out a ton. But I'm so I'm so thankful. That we've had some great counselors at the the schools I've been a part of. Yeah, that's really good. Well, do you want to switch gears here to uh, like in game, kind of the in game responsibilities of assistant coaches? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I mean, you got some in mind? Well, I'm I'm just thinking of uh, maybe uh, the role that an assistant coach has, and I know depending on how the coaching staff is broken down, at, at Flower Mound Marcus we had an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator as assistant coaches, which I thought was really cool, kind of mimicking the football aspect. At, at Bryan High it was more player-related. So our job was to really connect with certain players. So for me, it was the guards. For one of the other assistant coaches, it was the post players. And then we would just kind of give give feedback and information to the head coach. So uh, I, what do you see being some key traits to an assistant coach uh, during the game? 
Um, I, I think that going back to the relationship part is what makes what makes the certain uh, certain guys tick. Mm-hmm. I guess some of them you got to be a little more stern with. Others you got to pat them on the back when things are not going well. Um, it, it just it just depends. Like what's your relationship like with that player to get them to play at their at their peak potential for, for that particular game. Our, our, our situation is a little unique in that this is the first place that I've been at that, that's been like this, but uh, our freshman games are going on the same time our varsity game is going on it. Mm. And so I'm, the, I'm usually the only assistant on the bench, and so I am the defensive coordinator. I am the offensive coordinator. I'm the post guy. I'm the guard guy. Uh, while the coach is taking care of just the, the daily, I mean the the play play by play analysis of what's going on. What I I'm in charge of all subs, and I think that as the year progresses, we kind of figure out. Okay, this is our kind of our sub pattern. This is our sub rotation, which is not a big deal. But uh, I also just try to tell out scout what what the play what what play the opponent is running. Uh, try to alert the kids. This is it. We have names for them. We go over them and, and practice. Okay, this is called. I don't know. We, we give it a, a made-up name, right? So that as soon as the action starts, it, it kind of cues the the players. Guys, okay, this is how we're supposed to be defending this action. Good stuff. Good stuff. How much uh, how much scouting report responsibility do you have in regards to as assistant coach with scouting report? Are you? Presenting that to the players is the head coach presenting that. How does, I guess, where does scouting report come in? And then the last question I'll have is a film session. How do how do you guys work in film? What is your responsibility and role with with doing film or breaking it down? So first, let's talk about scouting report. Then we'll talk about film. Scouting is we we don't typically give the kids a scout a scouting paper. we we do go over all of the all of their sets. I'm, I'm typically in charge of all of their all of their offensive sets, and so it's my job to go in previous games and have them written out so that I can teach the JV kids um, what what exactly the opponents are going to run. Uh, we try to pick out their th- their top three top three favorite, and then we go over those. We go over those. I mean, leading up to the game during the athletic period, we'll have a ten minute block. Uh, going over scout during the period after school, we'll have a 20-minute block going over their stuff, and then we'll repeat it again the the next day. The head coach he's in charge of all baseline and sideline plays. He likes to go over those, and so he he, ta- he takes care of that. Um, and that's pretty much the extent of a, of our scouting report. As as we're going over the plays, um, we are given that accuser like this guy, the point guard. Man, we, he, he's a great shooter. We, we can't leave him. We need to be attached to him at all times. Um, if, if this is a guy we like to, if we, we dub him like non-scores, he's a non-score. And so we're really going to help hold from this guy and from his positioning. These are the opportunities that we have to help. And then the guys that we good, that are good offensive rebounders, we try to alert them about those as well. Cool. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about film then. Film. Our coach, he, he likes to he likes to work a lot of film. Um, so our process was every Wednesday, 
every Wednesday during the athletic during the athletic period, we'd come in, we'd lift, and then after we finished lifting, the varsity would go in, inside and they would they would watch uh, the last the day before his film uh, while the JV went to the court and they had the whole court for themselves. And so that typically it's just kind of watch and pick, pick two or three things. Again, these are things we need to be better at. These are things that we're going to uh, stress the next two or three days so that we can have success in our next game. And then on third Wednesday after practice, 15 minutes, and then Thursday after practice, another 15 minutes watching the opponent. Good deal. Watching the opponent, we typically try to try to bring out those those sets that we have been going over the inbound plays, the, the inbounds plays, and their man man to man sets that they that we've identified. We try to clip them. They put them up there, and now they get a visual instead of just seeing the JV run them. Okay, this is actually how it looks. <laughs> right. And that that seems to work out pretty good. And then Saturday again, they we we spent about forty five minutes on the court. We spent about 30 in the weight room, and then he watches 30 minutes of the Friday film after practice on Saturday. Gotcha. So do you have any responsibilities in regards to film? Most of your stuff is, is on the court, getting those JV guys ready, and, and, and then uh, making sure that the, uh, the players on the varsity are, are prepared to guard that action. Is that, is that mostly your responsibility? That's the extent of my responsibility. My responsibilities here. The other thing that I'll do, and I guess starting the second half is just going to huddle, and then I'll clip them on the right. playlist of just the offense and just the defense. Gotcha. And so whatever whatever he wants to watch, he can go. Okay, we're just going to look at all of their offensive plays. Well, it's already on a playlist. He clicks it. And they can get through that in about 15, 15 minutes to see every single play that they ran the previous game. That's good stuff. Gonzo, that's, that's really good stuff, and I love the characteristics and traits of successful assistant coaches. How do you balance – I know you got to go. You're a busy man. But how do you balance the being an assistant coach – and then also wanting to be a head coach in the future is there is there a is there a tug there is that just you're just diving into what you're doing right now how do you kind of do your job now be where your feet are but then also preparing to be a head coach how does that balance well that's kind of like just having being open-minded willing to learn um there's always especially now that that i'm a little bit older there's things that that i Think that uh, man, I like the, what we're doing. There's some things I'm like, ah, if I was if I was the head coach, I'd probably do it different. Mm-hmm. But my job is to do to take what is given and try to make it better. Yeah. And so in that, and just in that, it, it help it helps you become a better coach. But to answer your question more clearly, is uh, I've always been taught, I guess, to write things down. My, my dad's a big notebook guy. And so he writes in, I think everywhere that I've been, I've taken, I've taken things that I like, man, I really like that. And I put it on the paper, kind of forming up my, my own portfolio. And I kind of update that th- throughout I go just in case something comes up. Yeah. Um, I guess the past three off season I've been asked, well, what are you going to do? And I say, well, if something comes up, um, I, I'm preparing myself for that moment, but um, I'm not out there applying for every single job that's in the, that's in the area. I want something that's going to be a good fit for me 
and, and for my family. Right. But stay, staying ready, knowing, okay, this is kind of this is kind of what I identify with. This is a style of play that I want to be, uh, that I want to be. This is how I want my program to look. This is how I want my program to sound. This is how I want my practices to be structured. All of that, all of that is written down and is a click away in the, in the Google Drive. Good deal. So everybody on the podcast heard it first. Gonzo is not going after the UCLA, UCLA job. He's going to he's going to stay at Veterans Memorial. So we can dispel the rumors now. So thank you for clearing that up. I, I, I could be bought. I could be bought though. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey Gonzo, thanks thanks for being with us today. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Yeah, I got one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. I got one more thing. So uh, earlier in the year, um, kind of, kind of question for you. We talked about JV practice and. Like what, what? What is your stance? You brought in. You brought in a, a, an interesting idea, um, and I, I kind of got your point. But strictly scout, there's some there's some programs that just man JV really don't get any love. They're just there to 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 do what the opponent's going to do for the next thing. And then you got the other kind of right in the middle where you're a half scout team, you're a half program team. But I asked a question about it, and you told me talked to me about mixed teams. So I want to ask you what what has been the value when you're mixing your JV and your varsity up to play against each other. What has been the value that you've seen in that? Okay, so yeah, Gonzo and I talked uh, earlier about in practice, basically making even teams. Uh, JV, our JV and varsity practices together. That's what we did at Bryan High. That's what we did at Marcus at Bryan High School. Most of our practice with our JV was was scrimmage based, and then whenever we did slow down, the JV was going over whatever the the varsity opponent was doing. Okay, so our I was probably half and half, like you like you mentioned. At Marcus, at Marcus, it was mostly uh, we're just going to do what we do. Uh, we'll run our man de- defense, man offense, and then we would we would mix teams. And so what we would have is we would have four even teams in practice and so we would have Marcus Smart on the same team with our number 10 JV guy and so what that did was it did a couple things first it allowed us to see players in a different light so when a JV player has to be the man on JV he may be okay but when he's the fourth option on the varsity team or with those varsity guys, he looks pretty good. And so you can kind of see him in that role the next season, possibly. Okay, so that's the first thing it did for us, is it allowed us to see players in a different light. It also was was good for the JV guys. I mean, it was just good for them not to have to get beat down every single day by the, you know, the best team in the state. And so it was good for the JV guys to get some run with the varsity guys. And uh, and so we we had we had those two things going for us this year at Wall uh, in the pr- in the previous four years we've done that we've done a ton of mixed and so we've we've used our JV guys maybe ten minutes of practice for scouting type situations and that could be them running another team's defense it could be them running another team's sets so maybe ten minutes out of the out of the two hours um, yeah. but this year our JV guys were really competitive. And they loved JV versus varsity, and they would 
you know, we were 30 and four this year and our JV would sometimes beat our varsity in practice. They just loved practicing their guys against the varsity guys, their five against the varsity five. And when the varsity subs came in, those JV guys loved it. And so we went more to JV scrimmage versus varsity, working different situations because that's what the guys liked. But I'd say more often than not, I would I think the JV guys would really like to play with the varsity guys some. So what we did this year was our five-on-five scrimmages were mostly JV versus varsity. But then when we would break it down three-on-three, four-on-four, we would mix teams. But I, I think there's a ton of good because now a varsity player who may be the sixth option has to be the man when he's mixed in with, with JV yeah. guys. And so it kind of gets guys out of their comfort zone. You know, there's, a, there's a quote by Coach K that talks about don't put players in a box put them in a vase and let them blossom. And so I think that's what our practices allowed those guys to do and uh, kept things fresh. So does that answer your question? Yeah. That, that, that answers my question beautifully. And said 30, 30 and 4 this year and JV beating up on the team. So you heard it here first. Wall. <laughs> 20 state champs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I failed to mention that the var- we would we, we would run those varsity guys ragged before we let them scrimmage the JV. The oh, JV guys, yeah. JV guys were pretty fresh. JV guys were getting a water break, you know, and so. But no, not- no, that makes that makes a ton of sense to me. And you said like uh, the the beat down. I think our, our JV was very similar. They love to compete compete against the varsity, but we hit a span like mid year where the varsity kind of like took off. Uh, I mean, they got really, really good in a matter of a few games, and like we were take, we were getting beat down all of a sudden, like game, like practice after practice after practice, and it started to play with their their confidence. Um, yeah, and I, I noticed a dip in our, our level of competitiveness when, when when we play when we played the JV games until we kind of switched it up a little bit, and it gave them a chance to I guess recoup, and then our our play picked up again. Yeah, and start things started to get more competitive, but that's uh, fantastic. The idea I'm gonna put in my notebook and see <laughs> see see what I can do with it. Well, uh, our JV guys also got a lead a lot of the time, so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and throw that in there when they when they would scrimmage. But <laughs> no, I th- I just think there's a lot you can do with it, and and you know it, it keeps practices fresh. And e- even at Bryan High, sometimes what we would do when the varsity and JV were scrimmaging is Coach Reese would coach the JV. And then the other assistant coaches may coach the varsity, just so you have different coaches coaching the the guys. If you are a coach that likes to just keep JV separate and varsity separate, you know what what I ran into in the Metroplex is there were so many coaches who the JV practiced in that gym, varsity practices in this gym, and there's not much, you know, nothing going on there in regards to either team. They're not really communicating. They're not really the same. You know, it's not like yeah. this. It's not even the same program. And so, well, when you have to when you have to get guys that are going to help the next year, I, I want our I want our JV guys to have varsity experience. And uh, and For if sure. you if you can't get it in games, you sure as heck can get it in practice. And so, um, yeah, I love I love practice, and I love it when our JV guys compete. I love it when they're tough in practice, because then you can really you can really boost their confidence, saying you know hey you know you got a chance to be a really good player if you keep this up and and so I I, I think there's a ton of benefit getting those JV guys involved with the varsity uh, practice. So, all right, anything else, Gonzo? That's the, I think that's the most I've ever talked in a podcast. So 
Yeah, that is fantastic, <laughs> man. Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> we should split roles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that I got, I actually got one more if you have time. Okay, let's do it. All right. So just going back to the assistant coaches thing, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, uh, and and knowing coaches. What do you think if you if you can go back and be an assistant? Been at a couple of places, but do you think it's better to stay at one spot? These are kind of for the new coaches that are coming in. Better to stay at one spot and then learn as much as you can within that one system or to move from place to place. Now, I know that there's kind of some external factors, like you have a privilege of working with uh, Danny Henderson and, like, those, those guys that are just special, well, you got to stay. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the majority of the coaches, middle of the tier, middle of the road kind of guys, you want to take, okay, take a little bit here and then move over here and then take a little bit here and then move over here and take a little bit here until you're ready to take that next step. Yeah. That's a great thought. That's a great thought. I would say it's a million dollar question, but it's more like a fifty thousand dollar question uh, with our <laughs> salary. But uh, you know, for the for the young coaches, I would say that it depends on what your goals are. And I can say this, you know, since I've been married and have kids now, my goals as a head coach have changed a little bit in regards to what what I really want and what I think I want. But um, I think that's that's a that's something that every every coach has to decide you know how good your job is is it something you want to move around and try to get as much as you can and then use bits and pieces or do you want to stay in one spot and and uh i will say this and you can you can chime in on this too the way that people are hiring now i think it's better to stay at one spot if you want to be a head if you if you want to be a head coach and you're in a large school district then working your way up from the junior high up to a freshman coach, up to JV coach, up to varsity assistant, I think eventually you'll have a chance to be a be a head coach in that big district. So, what yeah, are your? I, I think I think that that as as you get to that age, uh, and if I were to do it over again, I think that that's what I would do. Like I I, I wish that I I just stayed at the same school, and there was, I, I learned I learned a ton. I learned a ton, but it would have been nice to maybe go somewhere else and then learn a different system or a different way that, that people approach practice, a different method in how they uh, plan their fundraising, uh, a different way in how they sell their program. And then as I got closer to be, okay, I think that I'm prepared now to be a head coach, well, then you've got to find a spot and kind of settle in mm-hmm. uh, to, to, see, to see what happens. But I kind of did the. I, I stayed at one place. I was more, and I did the. I moved up from freshman B to freshman A to JV, and then I, I went on and got and got my first head coaching job from there. But um, no, I guess it turned out okay. Yeah, but and if I would do it again, I'm, I might want to go to a different spot. Yeah, um, and, and learn something a little bit new. Yeah, and uh, yeah, young young coaches. I would say if if you're not ready to be a head coach, or if that's not your goal right now, in the first five years that you're a coach, I don't think there's anything wrong with with going to two spots, you know, or, or three spots, just because I think you can learn a lot. The thing that that you may want to think about in regards to career wise is trying to stay in the same area so that you can kind of quote unquote build your army in regards to administrators, football coaches. 
counselors, you know, things like that, people that you know uh, in the same area. For me, I, you know, we've traveled all across the state. I was at Bryan, then I went up to the Metroplex and was in Dallas for, for three years, and now I've been in West Texas for five years. And so uh, the experiences have been great. Now, career-wise, I don't know what's going to pan out, but as far as experiences, you can get experiences all across the state of Texas, and there's really good schools everywhere. So, Gonzo, you're bringing you're bringing some serious questions, right. man. That's good. Yeah, man. I, th- I thought about this a, a little bit, but it, I don't know. <laughs> pros and cons. Pros and cons, huh? Yeah, there are, but and every situation's different for every coach. But if if you're trying to get a ton of experience and learn different stuff, the best way to do it is to coach it. And so, if you you know if you want to be a full court pressing coach. Or want to learn about it? Go coach it somewhere. If you want to be a zone guy, learn from a zone coach, and, uh, yeah. and try to get it all. So, well, love it, love it. All right, man. Appreciate any it. anything else? Nah, I think I think I covered it. <laughs> I think that's it. All right, coaches. Thank you again for tuning into the Pound the Rock podcast. Tune in next time for more great content regarding planning, developing, and coaching the game that we love. As always, I would like to thank our sponsors and HardwoodTexas.com, allowing us to get our basketball fixed 24-7, 365. Thank you again for listening, and make today a great day.